You're listening to the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast, creating community to foster joy and well-being. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Tell Me a Story with Ben Frazier. And this is coming to you from Westminster Canterbury on Chesapeake Bay. And today we have uh, our guest is Lola McCracken. And Lola, welcome. Thank you, Ben. You and I have something in common. We we both came from California. I came from Central California, uh, where I grew up, but you grew up in Southern California, right? I did. I was born in Burbank, lived there as a very young child, and then uh, moved to Northern San Diego County. My dad had was working as chief engineer on the P-38 project in Burbank at Lockheed. And at some point after the war, he sold everything, took his pension, sold the house, and bought 100 acres down in northern San Diego County. Yeah, and uh, you rode horses. We did. We, we had horses and cattle and chickens and goats and everything imaginable. We never had any pigs, but we had lots of animals around and I learned to ride horses probably about the time I was learning to walk. And, wow. <laughs> and I had several horses over the years. Yeah. Uh, and you actually at some point got in competition. And I did. I rode, I was a barrel racer and it was just for our local Palomar Riders Club. We had our own arena and we would all compete in race all kinds of races that we thought up and the only animals besides horses that were involved were were steers and the roping contest but the barrel racing was my thing and i really enjoyed that and once a year during the summer when schools were out we would take a hundred mile ride on horseback up to palomar mountain and we'd take two days up and then we would go Thursday, I guess it was Friday and Saturday up, and then Sunday we would spend in Doan Valley, let the horses rest, and we would have a barbecue, and then we would ride 50 miles back down on Whoa. Monday and Tuesday. So you must have been camping out then, right? Oh yeah, we had a bedroll on the horse, on the okay. back of the horse, and we oh, would wow. sleep on bedrolls, but there were always uh, f- folks who brought food to us. Okay. As we, we didn't have to carry our food, and we right. usually cooked out over a campfire or something. Yeah. But we would stop at the Indian Reservation the first night in Poway. Okay. And uh, I can't remember where we stayed the next night, but we would do that then in reverse to come home. What a great childhood memory. I mean... It was a great way to grow up. I trained horses. I earned money by training horses for other people. Wow. And I had many horses. My last one was a reigning horse, and uh, I did... uh, the barrel racing, which I loved. Did you ever fall off? Oh my goodness, zillions of times. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, I, I did. That that was always just part of riding horses, young horses in particular. Yeah. That didn't have any manners. They, yes, yes. You could do that when you're young. It's harder when you yeah. get older. <laughs> it is definitely harder yeah. when you get older. But I have ridden a lot since uh, I've oh, been great. older. Stuart and I have ridden in Argentina. We did cattle roundups out wow. in uh, Wyoming and in uh, Colorado. We've ridden uh, Tombstone in Arizona. So we kept it up until recently. We used to ride up on Afton Mountain. Uh-huh. 
but we've pretty much given that up now. Okay, how's Stuart as a writer? Well, Stuart is not bad. He has always, always wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> and this is for somebody from Brooklyn. Yeah. And he insists he's not a good writer, but he, he is. He's done very well. He's kept up with me i've been writing since i was very small yeah. and we've had a really really good time riding horses all over the place wow well san diego is such a beautiful area it's just yeah. you know it, a lot of people are moving there and from other places in california because it's just so wonderful it and is so beautiful it is lovely we were out there two and a half weeks ago we went out for a oh, week okay. and it turned out to be the only sunny week in a six-week period, yeah, no rain, but we we had a great time. You grew up in San Diego. What an ideal place to grow up and riding horses, kind of like a cowgirl and that sort of thing. Can I say that? Is that pro yeah, appropriate? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I considered myself a cowgirl, and I always wanted to ride my horse to school. Oh my. We were, in the rural area and my mother let me do it one day and then they brought the horse home <laughs> that was that was a dream i had as a little girl well that's great and they let they made that happen well that's that's good so okay so you graduated from high school in in, in that vista. area in vista okay right. sure and then what happened after graduation i went to the university of redlands which is not too far from palm springs mm -hmm. But it is far enough away from Palm Springs that it's a little bit cooler. It's not that hot, hot desert air. Mm -hmm. Used to be surrounded by orange trees. Beautiful, beautiful campus. In the winter, you can see the mountains, usually with snow. Mm -hmm. The big Sierras. Bears, yeah, yeah, Big Bear is right up from Redlands. Yeah. Redlands was a great school. Yeah. Oh, it, it is a beauty. It's got a great reputation and beautiful school. Um, Big Bear, I've been to many times, too. Mm -hmm. uh, most people in California have, go mm -hmm. there once or twice at least. Oh, absolutely. And we used to go skiing from Redlands up in on Mammoth Mountains. Sure. And yeah. uh, I read recently that they had 471 feet of oh, snow wow. with the latest extreme weather in California. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you went there, your major was English? And uh, English and German, and mm -hmm. I spent my sophomore year abroad. My dad wanted me to learn German, so I was there in 61 and 62 in Salzburg, Austria. Well, that's a rough place. <laughs> oh, it was absolutely fabulous. We had a yeah. fantastic time, and of course I learned a lot of German. Um, my father had spoken German with my grandmother when uh -huh. I was little, and they usually used German when they wanted to keep us from knowing what they were talking about. Of course. So that was great incentive for me yeah. to learn German. I it traveled a lot. Went went okay. to it was my first trip to Venice, to Rome, to Milan, to Florence. Seeing all the wonderful Renaissance art was yeah. very it impressed me tremendously. And you went to Switzerland. We went to Switzerland. I skied in Muren. Oh. I uh, I learned actually to ski while I was over there. And we also went to Paris. Oh wow! And uh, we oh my goodness, we went to so many museums and churches and cathedrals. It, yeah. it was a it was a real education for me, and well, it broadened my horizon, influenced my life. Uh, I sponsored exchanges with Germany because it had been so fundamental in my cultural understanding of, of another 
continent and mm -hmm. it impressed me so much that I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could and then I wanted to share that with students and I, I did take students for many years. Uh, so you graduated from Redlands? I did. I, I had a, a bachelor's degree. My, my two majors were English and English drama and German okay. and then I got a master's degree. It was from Redlands but I also did graduate work at the University of Seattle, okay. at University of Washington in Seattle. Uh -huh. And then the next summer I went to the University of Munich. Yeah, Both of them were under the National Defense Education Scholarships. All right. So everything was free, my airfare was paid. Oh my goodness. And uh, room and board and it just, it was a very exciting time for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, Seattle is such a beautiful city in the University of Washington. Of course, oh, you know, that's where I went to school. And, yes. and my son got yeah. his Ph.D. from there as from, well. It's a, it's yeah. a wonderful campus. And yeah. we lived in the German house and spoke oh, German my. the whole, whole semester. And I learned to sail on, oh, yeah. on, on the uh, sound and yeah. uh, learned to love salmon. We had yeah. salmon bake course, several times during course. the summer. Okay, so you finished and you got um, uh, a BA and a master's degree, and then what did you do? Well, then I, I, I had a, a job teaching high school. I, I actually was right out of my undergraduate I had a bachelor's degree, and what I did, I went to school and I taught full-time. I had done student teaching during the summer. They had a program where they would take people with a, a bachelor's degree, and we did all the education courses during the summer and then during the year, so it was an accelerated program, but I got my lifetime teaching credential in both wow. English and German, and I taught in Los Angeles County at two high schools. First year I taught at one school, then I taught at two, and then I heard about uh, exchange teaching programs, and so then I was, I was able to. First, I went to England, and I, I taught in England, and I taught with the University of Maryland overseas program, and I also taught with the Department of Defense at a uh, boarding school, and there were kids there from military families and from diplomatic families in London, but I was living in Barry St. Edmunds, which, which is in East Anglia. Now, what was the biggest challenge at that time in teaching? This is a high school, I imagine. This this was a high school, and I was hired as the foreign language department chair. We had Russian, French, German, Spanish, and Latin, and I uh, taught uh, for several years, it, four years, mm -hmm. and the biggest challenge was arriving by myself. I knew nobody, wow. and I got around with taxis until I could buy a car, and then I bought a little red sports car, GT6. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, learned to drive on the left side of the road. When I first got there, I had no place to live, so I, I found an inn that okay. was not too far from where I was going to teach, and I lived in the inn. And it was really fun. It was a little little room, and I would eat in the pub downstairs. Sure. And uh, finding a, 
a more permanent place to live was a real yeah. challenge. And and pubs in uh, this is England, right? It's, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, and and pubs in England are much more communal than, than oh, they are here. Oh, yes, and you meet people from the the town. They're very friendly uh -huh. and and uh, whole families sometimes. Families come yeah. in, and and uh, I remember still to this day the food that was very very good. And that was where I learned to drink Pims. Pims number one. Oh yeah, one, sure. Pims yeah. number two, <laughs> with cucumbers. And, oh, I love it. And of course, Cambridge was right there too. So I spent oh, a lot of time in yeah. Cambridge. Did a lot of brass rubbing. That's something artistic, where you take yeah. paper and a special kind of brass rubbing crayon, and you you can get the impression of some of the knights and ladies from. The Middle Ages. It's it's a very historical hobby. Now, do you get it from the graves, right? The graves from stones? the graves, uh huh. From the gravestones and f and from the uh, graves of of the bishops and the knights who were buried inside the asp of the church. Okay. So they're they're not vertical. They're horizontal. That's so, right. So That's you're right. on your knees getting oh my. these, these okay. rubbings. What? So at some point along the line, you got a PhD. I did indeed. That was uh, somewhat later. I met my first husband in England, and mm -hmm. uh, we married. He was an American fighter pilot. We came back. First we came to Houston. Then we went to Atlanta, and then we had a five-year-old son when, uh -huh. when we were divorced. And four years later, I, uh, well, actually at the, exactly the time that we were in Atlanta, I started a program at Emory University, a oh, PhD program. Yeah. And uh, my Dr. Fata encouraged me to apply for a Fulbright. And so I had uh, the opportunity. I, I got the Fulbright, and I did original dissertation research in Vienna, in Austria. Oh, beautiful. So, so One of I my favorite to, cities of the yeah, world. I got it to return, so return to Austria. I was living in Austria in 1961. Okay. when the wall went up and it was pretty scary it, it was so you remember that wow. i remember that very well and we uh in in 62 we had an exchange well we we went from the university of salzburg to prague mm -hmm. and it was, then it was czechoslovakia right. and we were supposed to debate a team from the charles university okay. which is the oldest university in europe and we were all primed to to debate and then they didn't show up the the uh, Czech students did not show up, and I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. We were followed everywhere we went, so wow. we couldn't do much. Yeah. But we we did. We were in the city. It was it was very dark. There was a shortage of food. Wow. People were in rags. Everything was very dark. This was only 15 years after World War II, and uh, of course the Iron Curtain meant that a lot of people were going to be in a situation ruled by the Soviet Union. That's right. And there was no rebuilding miracle that West Germany had. Mm -hmm. And so in places like Hungary and the and Czechoslovakia sure. and Eastern Germany, 
it was still all very, very dark and dreary. And so that was my experience in 61, 62. And then I was in living in Vienna in 88 and 89 when the wall began coming down which oh, was yeah. it bookended my life it was truly amazing and cars the little tabbies mm-hmm. the uh, two cycle engines they're like lawn mowers <laughs> they would come into vienna and they're terrible polluters yeah. they 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 putt-putt along, but they would come in with remnants of the barbed wire and the fence posts wow. from Hungary and Czechoslovakia. And it was a very interesting time. It was a frightening time because before the wall actually came down, the, the democracy protesters in Tiananmen Square in, Square in China mm-hmm. had been rolled over by tanks and killed by the hundreds, maybe thousands. And we thought with the people who were holding vigils in Berlin and Dresden, and some people were coming from East Germany down to the Hungarian embassy. They were Mm -hmm. trying to get into the American embassy. They were jumping over the fences. And we thought it was a good, there was a good possibility that the Russians might come in as the Chinese had and they might decimate the area. I was in Hamburg in 1969 when the Russians came into Prague the second time first time was 1956 Mm -hmm. and then they also came in in 1969 and we were afraid that might happen in 1989 and it was really uh my friends in east germany have told me it was really kind of a mistake a miscommunication where the Fopos didn't get the, the command that they had always had, shoot to kill anybody mm-hmm. who tries to escape. So there were people going across the border, and there was great jubilation. And wow. uh, as everybody knows, it was the end of a very grim era. Mm-hmm. I did have an experience once when I had a State Department passport. I was uh, a guest of the German government, and the German government had given me a uh, an award, and this was before the wall came down, and I did not go through Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin. I went through the Friedrichstrasse, mm-hmm. and it, it's a subway into East Berlin, okay. and, and went up and I toured around for a while and then came back, and there were four of us, uh-huh. probably, 1966 or 67 at the height of the Vietnam War and as we tried to come back through we all spoke German and the the FOPO said bitte alle alles Geld muss doch reingesteckt worden all your money you have to put in this in this uh, uh, pot and a big sign in English said aid for North Vietnam (laughs) And so stupid me, I said, nein, das will ich nicht machen. And so he kept my passport, and we were in East Germany with no passports. And so I went to the train station at, next door, 
and uh, tried to give the money to a woman. And at that point, the FOPO took his machine gun down off his shoulder and pointed it at me. And I realized that he was very serious. So I went back and I took the money that I had left over. You had to buy East German money with American money. And it was just aluminum money anyway. (laughs) I just wanted it as a souvenir, but they wanted it back. And so I put it in the... uh, the pot aid yeah. for North Vietnam and then, then came out. So, yes, I was always a little bit leery of... Uh, what a scary moment that Soviet was. Soviet Union. Yeah. It was. I'd never yeah. had a, a machine gun pointed at me before. Well, I've never had one pointed at me. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know how, I don't. <laughs> how, how children in schools ever recover from that when they see their children. That's right. Their... their their friends shot down. Yeah. Guns are very, very frightening, particularly machine guns. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I was raised on a ranch where guns were part of the culture. Yes, yes. Uh, but we, of course, didn't have the kinds of things that are happening today. No, and I knew guns. My mother could shoot a rattlesnake at 50 yards. Yeah. She was a very good shot. And we, you know, we had... Yeah. A lot of reason to have a gun in the house, but mm-hmm. I am very, very frightened of of the gun culture. Yeah, well, uh, rightly so. It seems to me with uh, what's been happening in the United States these last few yeah, months yeah, and years, yeah. uh, just some very difficult times. What were you? What you study with your PhD? Well, I wrote my dissertation on Ingeborg Bachmann, who is uh, probably the most important post-World War II woman writing in German. She has only been sporadically translated into English. That was a project I was going to do with a friend from Princeton, mm-hmm. but I, I did not do that. He went ahead and translated some of them, but I, mm-hmm. raising a child by myself, I sure. didn't have the energy to do that. My son, who was nine and 10 when we lived in Austria, went to a United Nations school. He learned to speak German. Mm-hmm. He took German lessons. And the first week, he learned to swear in 13 languages, (laughs) which I thought was really interesting. But there were so many students there from all over the world. And, of course, everybody knew how to swear in all Oh, that's so funny. I'm sorry. It is funny. (laughs) You got your PhD from memory then? I did. I did. They... uh, I did attend the university in Vienna uh-huh. as a as a matriculated student. Okay. But I already had all my credits, so I yeah. didn't need any more credits. Right. But I finished my dissertation when I came back from Vienna uh-huh. and uh, defended my dissertation at Emory. And then I started work at, at uh, Georgia Tech, and I taught there for a number of years. But I had also taught in the local area. I taught at Kennesaw State University, and I had taught at DeKalb College, but teaching at Georgia Tech was a fantastic experience. The students were the brightest I had ever, ever taught, ever. Yeah, and how long did you teach there? I was only there for four years, and I I was offered a tenure-track job, Uh interestingly enough, at uh, Virginia Tech. Oh my! And I was going to come to Virginia, but my son begged me not to leave his friends again. And I, I felt that I had to really listen to that. He sure. loved going off to Vienna. He 
loved it. He said it was the most influential influential year of his young life. Mm-hmm. And he spoke fluent German. Oh, wow. Good but for him. But he said, please don't move again. And yeah. I figured with the loss of his father and also yeah. I demurred, but I... I, the only way I could stay at Georgia Tech was if I would publish more. I published my dissertation, and then, you know, I'm already uh, about 20 years into a teaching career. That's right. And so I took a job as an administrator and teacher in a high school okay. in northwest uh, Georgia and taught for 10 years, and that was when I started the German-American Partnership Program Exchanges. And I continued to teach at the university level at Kennesaw State University. Okay. Well, wow. You've lived such an amazing life. I mean, you've traveled so much. you lived everywhere. That's fun. (laughs) Well, I, I have enjoyed my both my professional life and having been able to live in Germany, Austria and England and traveling all over Europe. I've met some amazing people. I have a, a dear, dear friend of 50 some years in Salzburg, whom I oh go my. to see every couple of years. Oh, that's great. Her first son called me Tante Lola. Uh-huh. And one Christmas I was- Aunt Lola, right? Aunt Lola. Yeah, uh-huh. Tante. yeah, I know that from my own uh, family. Uh-huh. And, and one German custom is that the children wait for the tree, for the candles on the tree to be lit. Okay. And you do light candles. They're oh, not wow. lighted for very long, but then, then the child comes out to see what the Christkind has left under the tree. Uh-huh. And Heidi said that uh, Alexander was very upset because he was afraid that the Christkind wasn't going to bring him any presents if Tante Lola wasn't there. <laughs> so, but I, I was Tante Lola to both Heidi and Franz's children, oh, that's Alexander and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Marcus. How did you meet them? Uh, Heidi was working at a salon where I got my hair done. Oh, that's wonderful. And she was so much fun. And I really, uh, we were both 18. Uh, and we just became very, very good friends. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You were Teacher of the Year. I was Teacher of the Year for Georgia, yes. Wow. Yeah. At and Georgia Tech? No, this was no. when I uh, I had left Georgia Tech and I was teaching and was the foreign language department chair at uh, high school. At high school. And uh, was given by the uh, German consul general mm-hmm. and... Uh, they gave me a free trip to Germany as oh Teacher my. of the Year. <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, I love it. And they also gave me a piece of the Berlin Wall encased in in uh, it's some kind of, of very dense plastic. And uh-huh. on it, it says, thank you for helping to bring down the wall. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about a lot of things, but we haven't talked about one very important person in your life. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about Stu? Well, Stuart is absolutely the most important person in my life. He's the center of my universe. And of course, my son is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. But Stuart has been very kind to my son. My son lives here. Stuart and I met 14 years ago on Match.com, and... <laughs> Sorry, there's a there's hope for all of us. <laughs> there's hope for, for everyone. I was, at the time, living in Panama. I had uh, bought a condo down on the Pacific, uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And my plan was to get Panamanian citizenship. So I was living there. I would I would live there uh, several months of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had internet access, and that was when I met Stuart online. Mm-hmm. So we, we corresponded for, I guess, three months, the end of 2010. And then when I came back to the States, we talked on the phone. He invited me to come up to Virginia Beach. And so I came up for a weekend, mm-hmm. and he wined and dined me. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. We went to the opera. We went to Layaka in Williamsburg. We wow. toured Williamsburg. Um, we just did absolutely incredible things. We took me out to dinner several places besides Layaka. And then when I got home, it was Valentine's Sunday, so he took me out to brunch, and then I flew home, and Monday morning there were 18 red roses delivered from Stuart. We really hit it off. I guess you did. (laughs) We talked a lot. We felt like we'd known each other for 10, 15 years. We had so much in common. And then after my trip up here, we our first trip was to, and he probably told you about this, we went to Canada, to uh, Quebec, and we were on a 10-day trip on snowmobiles going from auberge to auberge on snowmobiles. Oh my goodness. It was absolutely fabulous. And then when he got when we got back, he asked me what I was doing for the next 12 months. <laughs> and we took a major trip every month. Wow. And uh, so I rented out my, my actually, we did go down to my my condo in Panama, one of those trips, and okay. we stayed probably two weeks. Wow. Uh, but I realized I was not going to live down there and get Panamanian citizenship, so yeah. um, I did sell the condo. But we had a fabulous time. And your son lives in Nor- Norfolk. What does he do? My son and his girlfriend have a business, a consulting business online. Oh, wow. And I don't know a whole lot about it, but they're kind of back office for a lot of, of entrepreneurs. Oh, that's great. And they do newsletters and... Uh, they mail stuff, you know, uh, they take care of things for conventions when the, the businesses meet various places. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, good. So he, he lives in Norfolk. I'm very happy about that. My grandson has, uh, was in the Marines. Oh, my. And has uh, left active duty, but is in the reserves in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And he lives in back in Georgia. He is married, and Mm -hmm. uh, the two of them uh, have lived all over with the Marines and now are in in Georgia. Well, that's great. So what a a wonderful experience you have. Well, I I just thank you for sharing your life. Um, You have moved more than I think anybody that I have interviewed, Mm -hmm. and you've lived in so many different places. I have lived several places. One thing I didn't mention was I did a six weeks language course, Spanish course down in Cuernavaca in Mexico. Okay. So I also speak Spanish, but I'm not bilingual. I'm bilingual yeah. in German. But every opportunity I've had to live in a foreign country, I have, have taken, and I've enjoyed it very, very much. What do you attribute your 
Wanderlust. It's wanderlust. Uh, What do I attribute my wanderlust to? Yes, yes. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, My father was very supportive of my intellectual development. Uh And um, even though I know he wanted a boy, uh, he had two daughters. And I was always... Uh, I don't know that I was exactly wild, but I certainly was wild riding horses. Mm -hmm. I always pushed boundaries, pushed the envelope, and uh, I I like the excitement of learning new things and going new places and meeting new people. And one thing that we didn't talk about was my quilting group. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. In fact, I'm leaving Monday to go down to the North Georgia mountains to be with my Mother's Day quilting group. There are eight of us, and from around the from all over. Uh, one gal is coming out from Seattle. One is coming from Denver. Wow! And then the others, uh, I guess, five, four of them still live in Marietta. And Is that where you all met we originally? We met in Marietta, okay. yes. And it was when our children were young. Uh, our husbands were gone a lot. They mm-hmm. were uh, airline pilots. Uh, one one member, her, her husband was uh, the administrator for uh, the Piedmont Hospital Group in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But we went away one Mother's Day weekend to quilt, and the husbands kept our young children as a Mother's Day present for us. Mm-hmm. And it, it went from being an overnight trip now to uh, we spend a week together. That's and great. Last, last uh, year, we were in Colorado. Uh-huh. And the year before we were in Colorado, 2020 was the only year in 40 years that we have not met, and that was because of COVID. COVID, yeah. So these are dear friends. These are dear friends of 50-some years. And you continue to meet every year unless, you know, some national pandemic stops it. Yes, yes. And the year I was in Austria, they called me from the Mother's Day Quilters Retreat and couldn't get me. It was because I was in the hospital with pneumonia. Oh, no. (laughs) But that was one of the few that I've ever missed. Yeah. Uh, We get together and we are... Some conservative and religious, some very liberal and agnostic, uh-huh. but we have managed to uh, maintain our friendships and uh, love each other and care for each other year round, but yeah. we, we meet on Zoom. Okay. Uh, How often do you meet on Zoom? Well, for a while, uh, during the pandemic, we we're meeting once a month. Uh-huh. And now we don't meet quite so often, but we always meet on uh, Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, well, as, as you know, and, and I know now, that uh, relationships are so important and friendships are so important to our social, cultural life, to our intellectual life, and to our health. Mm-hmm. All those things are enriched by deep friendships, and here you have for 50 some years, friendships that you've managed to weather differences of uh, politics and culture and all that sort of stuff. And still, do you have any, how did that happen? Well, it, it didn't really just happen. We worked at it. Okay. And you do have to work to maintain friendships. And with my 
overseas friends uh, before the internet or f- or even phone calls that you could. I mean, because phone calls used to be so expensive. Right, you'd you'd have you, to write. Yeah, uh, yeah, we we would write letters and we kept in touch that way, and we have a. Your lecture on happiness was one of the uh, one that I enjoyed very much, and I can certainly underscore the things that you said about friendships being so important particularly as we age, uh, loneliness is a virus in this country. It really is. And there are more people living alone now than any other time in our history. And I think, uh, well, I'm very fortunate to have really good friends. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your life and your wisdom. more exciting than I thought. I, I, I know you, but I didn't know how much you traveled and how many different things you've done. You've lived an amazing life. I, I have. I thank you. I thank you so much. Well, thank you for the invitation. I, I, I guess all of us like to talk about ourselves, right? Well, yeah, but <laughs> I think not all of us are as articulate as you and, and has as much to say. And so I thank you so much. All right. This is Ben Fraser saying... Thank you for joining us for Tell Me a Story. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. Thank you for listening. 